On the ground, there was a footprint. A big footprint. So I was uh, hooked from that moment on. I started spending all the time I could spare searching for the beast, then I spent time I couldn't spare. That's how I lost my job and my friends. It's so sad. Well, I didn't tell it so you could cry in your sprouts or whatever that is, darling. I'm telling it so that your father won't make the same mistake. Well, I appreciate what you're saying, Dr. Wrightwood, but there's a big difference between your story and mine. Not as big as you think. Maybe even bigger. No, 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 you're kidding yourself. <clears throat> mm -mm -mm. I remember what you told me when you came into my shop. Bigfoot can come live with us. We'll accept the responsibility. <laughs> can you imagine what a Bigfoot would do to your home? <laughs> yeah, well, I can. You're good people. I'm going to say this once. I'm going to say it's simple. And I hope to God, for your sakes, you all listen. There are no abominable snowmen. There are no Sasquatches. There are no big feet. What's up, folks? Welcome back. Tonight, we're going to be interviewing Seth Breedlove from Small Town Monsters. And Small Town Monsters is a, I don't know, would you call them a documentary film company? Yeah, I would. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're they're a documentary film company, and as their name implies, they go into small towns, find the legends, and um, basically do documentaries about them. They've done three of them. On right now, as it stands, they've done three of them, and they're all Bigfoot related. They've did one for Minerva's Monster, the Beast of Whitehall, and the Boggy Creek Monster with Folk uh, Monster. Folk Monster. Why do I? Why do I? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the beast of Boggy Creek. It's yeah, it's a folk monster. monster. Folk. I, I, I want to say it as folk. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that throughout this whole episode. I'm going to mess up. It's an old timey monster. See. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that was one with uh, Lyle Blackburn, wasn't it? They did that with one with Lyle yeah. Blackburn. Blackburn. I get his name wrong too. I'm tongue tied right. as hell tonight. All right, here's the deal. I'm coming down with a cold. So I'm going to be doing this show with the throat lozenge, and I'm going to try not to be the guy that clicks it in his mouth the whole time we're recording, you know, so cut me some slack if I, if I do that. But that's pretty much, you know, that's, that's pretty much where we're heading tonight. Big shout out to Gene St. Gene for putting us in touch with these guys. Gene, um, with his um, monster toy line, I have a feeling is probably working with these guys to do some kind of Bigfoot-oriented creature. Or, but Gene's just a Bigfoot guy in general. Gene, his thing is werewolves, Bigfoots, and bats. <laughs> yeah, I would, <laughs> the that's most a good part. Way to put it. So, <laughs> which isn't necessarily bad hobbies to be into. But yeah, we're going to interview these guys. I don't think we're going to go too much into the direction of asking them about all the different Bigfoots. I'm sure we're going to cover some of it, but me and you are more curious as to about what it means to be a filmmaker that covers these kind of things, what what it's like to go into a town and try to dig up these legends and, and try to talk to these people and the reaction you're going to get and you know how he goes about finding people that are going to narrate it for him or be the ones that carry the narrative along in it and, and just what it means to be a filmmaker that that covers these kinds of things and it covers these kind of stuff to be so, a documentarian a documentarian of the strange would be a great way to put it i don't want to say a strange documentarian <laughs> well, <laughs> i remember i called robert schneck a strange historian he's like no no historian of the strange rojan get it right <laughs> to this day he still gives me grief about it so um 
anything bef- anyways before we jump into this did you anything you want to say or just do we just jump right in and we'll jump in catch everybody up at the other side yay wee okay <laughs> see you guys at the other side peace So with us tonight, we have Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters. Welcome to our humble little abode, Seth. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you are out of where? What what uh, state are you out of? We're out of uh, Ohio, um, northeast Ohio, kind of like just south of Cleveland. Oh, okay. All right, I know where you're at then. So yep. basically, you guys have a, a documentary company that more or less small town monsters you guys go in and document you know the legends of local towns or small towns and Mm -hmm. the monsters that go behind them so far you've done three bigfoot oriented movies you've done the minerva monster the beast of whitehall and the boggy creek legend um i uh as we were talking about beforehand i'm not gonna we're not gonna go into huge depth with discussing sasquatch movies or sasquatch because really not, I don't. I don't mean to make this sound bad at all. But once you've seen one Sasquatch story, you've kind of seen them all. It's me and my girlfriend were out in the woods, and then we looked over and we saw it. And in, if you were here that night, you would have saw it right next to that tree right there. And then it always ends up with somebody flying down the road at super speed, and you know all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So what we are curious about is how did you get into doing documentaries about this kind of stuff? So. Let's start there. How, how did you get started into doing this, and how did you decide that, you know, this is the kind of stuff you want to cover? Yeah, there's, there's like, two versions of the story. There's, like, the quick version, which is is, is quick and, and whatever, you know, it's, like, the abbreviated um, version. And then there's the one I'm going to tell you, which is, is the, that um, originally uh, Small Town Monsters was, like, a, a book proposal that I put together as a um, – I worked a really boring day job at a, a medical billing company, and I would <clears throat> sit there all day and dream about the things I wanted to be doing other than sitting in the cubicle. And um, one of the things, one one day I was working, and I thought of this idea that you know I, I'd love to see uh, some sort of book that examined uh, Bigfoot cases from around the country um, that that were centered in and around small towns and kind of the cultural impact that those cases had on the communities and um we put together a proposal that we sent around to like 10 different publishers and the book was pretty much rejected by every single publisher wow Um, sucks (laughs) yeah and and they were all you know it was it was pretty you know i i didn't expect it to get picked up i don't have a name in the community and and you know things like that so i i didn't expect it to be you know some sort of massive smash hit but um after it got rejected i kind of shelved it for about three or four months and then um i had hit upon the idea of making one of the cases as a short documentary film for youtube and um i met these two guys who who happened to be running kind of a you know an an amateur production company kind of like what we are and um they they were interested in making a movie, so we kind of got together and we put together this Minerva Monster documentary. And Minerva Monster was originally going to be, like I said, a little YouTube short. Well, 
we ended up getting an interview with one of the members of the family that's at the center of the Minerva monster story. And it's a, it's an interview that had never been done before. Um, no one had ever actually managed to get anyone from that family to come on camera to talk about their sighting. So once I, um, once I managed to talk them into that, we kind of knew we had something a little bigger. And once we knew we had something a little bigger, I started uh, hounding local media from around the state with, you know, I, I worked in newspapers for eight years. So I knew that, you know, we could, we could garner a decent amount of free publicity by, you know, getting in local papers. So we, we hounded local media. We got in papers kind of all around the country because of a story that ran in the Akron Beacon Journal um, that ended up being on the front page of the Akron Beacon Journal. And uh, it, the story got picked up by the AP Wire and the story ran coast to coast. And uh, Minerva Monster became kind of a viral sensation here in Ohio, especially Northeast Ohio. It was, you know, radio shows were doing like, have you ever had a run in with the Minerva Monster call in shows and like all kinds of stuff because of the fact that the movie was coming out and it mm -hmm. was getting a lot of local publicity. The town itself really, Minerva, Ohio, really embraced the story. And it ended up you know, there were cakes and the 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 local bakeries were selling with our poster on it and all kinds of stuff. Wow! But, um, yeah, it just kind of it became a little sensation locally, and it still kind of is. People still make you know you can tell the success of something or the I guess the notice the awareness for something just by doing like a cursory uh, Twitter search and seeing how many people you don't know are tweeting about that thing. And so that was how I was able to gauge that, that the story had really spread. So once that story came out, once Minerva came out, it did fairly well. Um, we went and we made Beast of White Hall, which was our shortest film of the three Bigfoot films. Um, and it was the cheapest of the three. And uh, it's been our biggest uh, kind of success in terms of views and amount of money made and that kind of thing. It's been our, our kind of our big our big gun in the in the trilogy so far. Well, I would have and thought the Bo Boggy Creek one would have been the bigger the biggest one of all of them. I think Boggy is still getting going. Um, the we came out at a bad time. We came out November 11th. The election was what like the seventh or something. Okay. Um, we were we were competing with the election when it came out and. I, I just think that because of that, I had a really hard time getting, you know, press and stuff like that. Whereas in the past, we've done a really good job of kind of, you know, circumnavigating the the insanity that is trying to get published in a local paper when you're a nobody. Mm -hmm. um, but the movies have done really well as far as even Boggy's done really well. It's just I I think Boggy's going to be the big the big one of the three. I think our Mothman movie that we're working on now is probably going to be the biggest of the four. But the the boggy the boggy movie is is a basically a, like a new release in 2017. We're just starting to do film festivals, and um, and so yeah, it's just it's just getting going. What I noticed about all three of these movies is that well, for one, you do a really good job of just going in and telling the town story. You don't bring in like the you don't bring in the Bubba's. You don't bring in the the Bigfoot hunters. You know, you don't bring in the crazy, like, reality TV show kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You go in and you just do a really good, thorough documentary, but you talk to the regular, everyday people that are in these towns. Have you ran into any kind of a kickback where you go into a town and you try to tell the story and the people of the town are like, no, nah, we don't want to talk about that, or, you know, you're a little odd, or you're a little strange, or have you run into any negativity with this stuff, or has everybody yeah. involved been really good with you? <clears throat> no, every movie... 
to some to greater or lesser extent, we have a lot of pushback from from someone or or multiple people. I guess the worst was probably Beast of Boy Hall, where now let me paraphrase that by saying it's not it's not that the town itself is pushing back. It's usually just some of the people you would hope to talk to in the film or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, the towns have been unbelievably. Um, accepting and gracious of the movies, you know, like especially in the case of Falk, Arkansas, and Whitehall, New York, and Minerva, um, those three especially have really been amazing as far as they've all hosted different events pretty much centered around our films. Um, there's been two Minerva Monster Day festivals in Minerva. There's been, there was a massive uh, premiere for Beast of Whitehall. We had almost 600 people come out. Um, so we've, we've done wow. really well as far as the towns, but when it gets to the, the with, with Whitehall, um, <clears throat> and it's, it's kind of a theme of the movie is that people in, in New York kind of shy away from the subject in general, the subject of Bigfoot. And, you know, we had, we spoke with multiple people that had sightings or were connected to people who had sightings who didn't want anything to do with being in a movie about it because they didn't want to be made fun of, um, and it's a shame because you get these great stories coming to you. And I'm not just talking about sighting stories, but personal kind of – the the one that comes to mind is Dan Gordon's son uh, called me. Dan Gordon was a police officer in, in Whitehall, New York, who saw a creature and, and kind of kept it a secret until he thought he was on his deathbed. He was supposed to be dying and ended up not dying. But he told his family on his, his uh, supposed deathbed that he had seen a Bigfoot and then he didn't die and that it became kind of his legacy was that he had seen a Bigfoot. His son had called me and um, told me all sorts of stuff, all, all kinds of stories about other police officers he knew um, that, that had had sightings and things like that. But he didn't want anything to do with being on camera. Um, talking about it because of the the stigma connected with Bigfoot in that area. And like I said, to greater or lesser extent with all three of the movies, we've run into that. Now, the Boggy Creek Monster, it's a little different because Lyle did most of the interview setup, if not all the the interview setup for that movie. They were all people he already knew and had spoken with. I was going to say that must have been probably the easiest one to do because – Lyle, what's what's it like working with Lyle? He seems like a pretty cool guy. Like somebody, you know, you just go out to the bar and have a beer with a salt of the earth kind of guy. Really friendly. He doesn't yeah. seem very nutty. He doesn't seem like uh, no the classic as I go to Bubba out in the woods hanging banking up in the trees kind of guy. He seems like you mm-hmm. know a pretty nice guy that you could actually sit and talk to without you know going too deep into the woo woo realm. What's he like? You're- Is he a cool guy? Yeah, that's what that's why we ended up working together. Because like I'm, I had met him a couple years ago um, at, at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference, and we got to talking about um, these k- kind of small town cases. And I had told him up front from the start that his book, uh, The Beast of Boggy Creek, was one of the things that inspired me to begin with to do my, you know, take on these small town cases. Because essentially, Beast of Boggy Creek is kind of like the forerunner for what I'm doing. Um, and of course, Beast of Boggy Creek was drawing off of a lot of the work of like Lauren Coleman and guys like that who've done similar kind of stuff. But, but Lyle's approach to it was definitely a huge inspiration to me. And him and I got along uh, when we had spent time together. Um, that the experience. So as far as like the research and interviews and all that kind of stuff, it was definitely the easiest movie. It was the hardest movie to make of the three in terms of the logistics of the shoot, because we were talking about 
uh, you know, I got together a crew of five guys. Um, and when I say a crew, I mean, basically it's, it's me and four of my buddies who've never, you know, I mean, aside from Brandon and I who've worked on these movies, the other three guys hadn't worked on making movies together with me. One of, one of the guys who was our director of photography was in film school and lived out in LA and that kind of stuff, but we'd never worked on, on a project like this together. It was extremely stressful, uh, because you were on a five-day shoot trying to cram enough enough content to get a movie together, you know, and you're tr- we were shooting uh, 14 hours a day basically for five hour five, or five days straight. Um, one of our guys would shoot all day and then go back to the hotel and edit together behind the scenes footage every night for the production diaries that would go out to Kickstarter backers too. Um, oh my god, so I don't it's even a lot know. of work. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know when that dude was sleeping. Um, sleep? Like what is that? <laughs> but yeah, so so it was um, it was incredibly stressful. Lyle and I talked infrequently while we were filming because of the fact that when we were on a shoot, you know, when we're filming an interview, Lyle would be off talking to the witness while I'd be helping get everything set up. And then Lyle and I would conduct the interview together. Um, we had, we definitely had a lot of fun down there. It's just like in, it's one of those things where it was almost like a, a summer camp experience. Like you look back on it and you're like, I guess that was pretty awesome. But like, while it's going, <laughs> while it's going on, you're just trying to get everything done. Now, um, when I went back for the premiere, um, Brandon and Lyle and I had a, had a blast together, like the three, because, you know, the work side of it was kind of done and it's just three guys hanging out. So that was definitely a lot more chill, um, less crazy, but it, he, he's a totally relaxed dude. He's, you know, t- typical kind of Southern laid back guy in a lot of ways. He's, he's got a very level headed approach to, the subject he's you know which is why we get along so well so he's he's definitely i i don't think there are many uh i gotta watch my, my wording here i don't think there's many people involved in cryptozoology or or the paranormal that i would work with in in to the extent that i've worked with lyle and it has to do with the fact that he is a very easy guy to get along with well let's start with let's say um Okay, we'll take the Beast of Whitehall. How do you go into these towns and begin doing the research? Do you just walk into the town hall and say, hi, I'm here to do a documentary? Or do you start scouting with phone calls ahead of time? And how do you dig up the people to talk to and all this stuff, let alone going through the process of getting the shoot? How do you dig up the information to begin going about doing this? Whitehall was a... um, We we released Minerva Monster in May of twenty. 15 and we're shooting beast of whitehall in um july of 2015 so we went right into it um i think the way i did that is just cursory internet research i came up with the story i found the names of the people who were involved and i started making phone calls and one of the names that i had found was bill brand and bill brand was an investigator who'd been connected to the whitehall case and um, when, when we're working on these stories, um, this would exclude Boggy because we already had Lyle involved. But when we're working on these cases, the, the films, it is helpful to find someone who is, who is a, you know, a Bigfoot investigator, a paranormal investigator um, back when the case was actually 
going on because usually you can talk to them, learn information re- relating to the case, and they can often help you get in touch with the original witnesses. In the case of Minerva Monster, we talked to a guy named Ron Schaffner. Um, and with Beast of Whitehall, we talked to a guy named Bill Brand. But Bill was different. Ron wasn't in Minerva Monster, but Bill is in Beast of Whitehall. And the reason is Bill Brand was pretty tied to the Whitehall story. He was he was actually out at Hebert Road the day after the sightings. He interviewed all the witnesses. We knew he had taped interviews with the witnesses. Um, you know, and, and so so with that case, I just made a lot of phone calls. You did a lot of talking with people. Um, and, and again, in that case, it was very difficult to get people to talk. I, I got Bill on board right away. Brian Gosselin, I had to coax on for weeks. That was the, um, that was the cop, right? The one that was a police officer yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. And according to him, he's never doing another documentary after ours. He, wow, what'd he, you do um, to the guy? <laughs> well, no, no, no. It was like he had he had just turned down he had just turned down uh, Finding Bigfoot right before we showed up, and I convinced him to come on our movie, and. Um, you know, I, he said the way we did the story is is the best it's going to get as far as the way it actually happened. So he doesn't really have any desire to do another one because he's had such negative experiences working with these documentaries for the most part. So the, so ours was kind of his final say on the story. And, and he was, you know, I, I know when we showed the movie in Whitehall, he came up to me afterward and gave me a hug and said that was everything I would hope hope for as far as relaying the story so i think he just kind of was was done he's you know like some of these guys have told their stories a thousand times They're yeah just that's bored with it like that's that was i'm getting at, like because you've got to go into these people and you got to say you know you got to be that one guy that goes in and says hey i need to talk to you again mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's right. like oh man i gotta tell the story again you know and then and then at the yeah. top of that you got to try to get something different out of them which i can completely relate to just through doing the podcast um, mm-hmm. you got to pull something different out of them that they haven't already told a million times or try to find some scrap or some morsel to make what you're doing more worthwhile. Well, so, and Whitehall was, had an extra, an extra, uh, obstacle in the fact that we, we actually had to shoot the movie twice. We, we went and we oh, shot man. all of our, our B roll oh. in July. And then I had a falling out with the guys who produced the movie and, um, basically the footage was taken from me that we had originally shot. So I went back um, and shot all of my interviews again in a day and a half. So oh, we, I had to convince, crap. I had to convince Brian to come back on uh, a second time. And he was very gracious as far as like, that's, that's fine. Wow, totally that is lucky. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So we, we had to convince a lot of you know well i say a lot of people but there's very few people in beast of whitehall it's one of the reasons it's only a 39 minute movie i mean you've got we basically have three main interview subjects and then there's a few people who kind of fill it out yeah you got the and town have, mayor i believe it was. was that the town mayor that's talking about how they passed legisl- the legislation back in the early 2000s to protect it if the if they come across the right or? right i love that guy <laughs> he's got my favorite line in the entire movie when he says uh <laughs> he's talking about Whitehall and all the stuff there is to do there and uh, he kind of gets this blank expression on his face <laughs> and he goes he goes uh, you know in the in the summer we got 
summer stuff and and the winter we got winter winter stuff we got winter things and then sort of flashes to the picture of the town like six feet deep in snow yeah yeah all kind of winter things to do so yeah i I have to say out of the three that's probably even though it's like you said the shortest that's probably my favorite because it actually shows it shows the essence of the town itself as well like Mm -hmm. Like when you, I can understand why these people turn down other document, quote unquote, documentaries mm-hmm. or reality TV mm-hmm. because they're not there to, and mind you, this is my opinion, they're not there to actually find out what really happened and how it affected people. They're there for views, they're there for people that tune in every week or every month or whatever. And the way right. you guys approach it in, in all three of them, you guys have a sense of what the community actually felt like during the period of time that the sightings happened. And, like, your your documentaries are more organic mm-hmm. in the feeling like you – I watched all three in the span of one evening. My wife was just looking at me like I was out of my mind. <laughs> and, and I mean, the whole time you you feel like you're there. Yeah. You know, like I, I watch a lot of documentaries, and the only one that that I've watched throughout the years that really makes you feel like you're there is the Carl Panzram one that I watched not that long ago. Because you actually feel the visceral everything that's going on, the sense of the community, the sense of who was involved, the people that were affected, and yours yeah. do that. Well, I mean, that's that's the entire intention of of them, uh, you know, is that. And and I like that you said that Whitehall is definitely does a, a, you know, a very good job of flushing out the community. I do think that's something that lacked a little bit in 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 the Boggy Creek movie. We had so much ground to cover, you know, in in a relatively short amount of time. And then with Minerva. It's done, but it's done in such a way that I, I really think it's it's almost uh, that first eight minutes to me is brutal. Like if I could redo Minerva, I would you know I'd, I'd kind of re I'd figure out another way to tell the local history yeah, without it being. You're growing as a filmmaker, though. So if anything, these are chronological right. steps in the process because there is a marked there is a marked improvement of how you carry the story along. You know, and all these stories. But again, like I said earlier, these are all they're all Bigfoot related cases. So how many times can you tell a Bigfoot story and still keep it interesting for the most part? You mm-hmm. know, it's I know there's people out there that are hearing this right now that are probably cursing at their cursing at their iPods or what have you for me saying that. I'm sorry, folks. But, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's not it's not so much about the creature creatures, right. whatever. It's about. The, the way it people. affected the people, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what's left behind. There's, we don't yeah. have a physical entity. We have the people and the reactions they had and how it changed their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward 30 years from now, I honestly believe that the three documentaries that you've made so far are still going to hold up because it captures what those people were feeling. There's a yeah, part where I, um, Brian Goslin's talking about how when he ran into when he was parked, like he was parked at a speed trap or whatever, and the kids pulled up and they come flying out of the car, and he was like, "Well, what have you been smoking?" And then he's like, "After a while, I could tell that they weren't high. I could tell they weren't on anything because they were just too wound up. They weren't they weren't acting like they were trying to pull a prank. They were legitimately scared." And and this is coming from a police officer, and he was kind of like, "Well, 
yeah, okay, I guess, you know, and then I, did he see it too? I don't remember if he saw it as well. Yeah. 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 He sees it the next night. Yeah. So, you know, this is, that's the thing about it. This, there, there was no like, let's throw some spooky X-Files music here and uh, let's amp up the fear a little bit and stuff like that. There was no real need for any of that kind of stuff in these. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you, he stole my answer because, like, it really is the, the only way to make these stories interesting um, is to focus on the people. And frankly, I, I'm drawn to the stories because of the people more so than the, you know, the creature. Um, I don't know, I don't know why that is. I, I definitely am, am still interested in the subject of Bigfoot, and and I find it fascinating and i i still read books about it and everything but i i personally when i'm telling the story i'm much more drawn to talking about the people i mean that you know my inroad to boggy creek monster was was really difficult to find because it was lyle's story to me and i I remember having conversations with other guys in the crew and being like i i'm really having a difficult time figuring the story out for myself and, you know, I mean, thank God everything kind of worked as far as like the way we filmed it, because I was winging it down there in Falk. I'm like, telling you know, I had to, a- I had to act. Really, guys, like, I, I know what I'm like, doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like trying to I'm, I'm sitting down the night we got down there. You know, we go over to this little sub shop and it's it's Lyle and me and like, you know, four of my guys. And there's a couple other people that had showed up. And all these people go over to this little restaurant and we're sitting there and everyone's listening to me explain what's going to happen the next day. And I'm telling Lyle like how his interviews are going to go. And I'm like, look, you're going to be walking around on camera with witnesses telling their, you know, getting their story. It's going to be kind of like you're walking us through that. He's like, well, you know, do you want why don't we do some talking head interviews with me, too? And I'm like, well, not really. I don't to me, the idea of having Lyle on camera walking with witnesses um, doing narration and as an on-camera interview talking head made no sense so the only way i could make it work in my head was he's he's our our storyteller but you know like all that stuff worked out but when i sat down to start editing the movie i was just sitting here staring at a at a computer screen (laughs) because i didn't know where to start i'm like I, i you know like you know, the easy part was getting the town stuff in place, you know, like, okay, you tell a little bit of the town's history, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, um, there's no, there was no heart for me. I wasn't emotionally invested in anything. And then, I, I mean, I guess this actually happened during the filming, but I found it again when we got home to edit. When we were down there, there we went to that Cersei house, to Mary Beth Cersei house, and obviously the movie ends at the house. Actually, it begins at the house, too, but but the movie ends at the Cersei house with Lyle walking around that house. Well, when we got to the house, something about the house, finally, I emotionally connected with something. I, I There was – on the side of the road, I found – a uh, or we found someone found their mailbox the Cersei mailbox and it looked like it'd been hit by a car and thrown over into some weeds and it was laying on its side you know it was crushed but the name the mother's name I can't remember what her name maybe Emily or something like that anyway what whoever's name it was was still on the mailbox and I I finally had an in like I I connected with that emotionally I got you know, emotional over that. I don't now, know why. It's just history. For being... people who don't know the story, those were the first people that actually saw the the Whitehall creature. Well, the Cersei's—that's that's the Boggy Creek 
uh, story. They're yeah. they're one of the families that was in the Boggy Creek Monster. Um, they were in the Legend of Boggy Creek in nineteen you know nineteen seventy one when it was filmed and and were in the movie when it was released and and they're often connected with it. But you know when when we were making the Boggy Creek movie, it was just really difficult for me to find something to connect with. So yeah, it gave reality to it when you finally saw a name. I could understand that. It, it made yeah, it I mean, more palpable. It, it made it emotional for me. I, because for me, I everything is about feeling, uh, especially when I'm editing. I put music in the movie and I and I edit to that music and I try to, I, you know, I want to I want to edit or tell my stories uh, from an emotional place or I feel like there's, you know, they're going to be dead kind of. And I learned that when I worked in newspaper reporting. I just my stories tended to be more personal than most of the other writers, and that's just my way of telling stories. So you know, the what I, you know, kind of the point I was making was I was coming to a story that Lyle had already told and, and had already investigated. And so for me, it was like trying to find, well, what am I, what do I have to say about this? You know, and, and for whatever reason that Cersei mailbox was kind of where I, I locked into what I wanted to do with it. And a lot of these cases, you're basically in a race with the Grim Reaper to try to get the interviews with these people and a lot of them have passed on. So, you know, what do you do in that situation? When you know, how do you go about digging up the old footage and getting permission? Or are mm-hmm. the family members that are still around are they cooperative? Or well, the, you know? with with Beast of Whitehall, we had uh, Bill Brand had those interviews with the original witnesses um, that he had taped, and you know. Th- Two of those people had passed away, or three of the people that are that are on audio tape had passed away. So there's no way for us to have them in the film, and and you know, like a lot of filmmakers might shy away from doing something like sticking audio, just solely audio, in a movie. But I, I feel like it still gives them a voice in the story. It lets them represent themselves in the story, even if they're not here to do it. Um, so I will jump at that chance anytime we can. With Beast of Whitehall, that. I think that fleshes out the movie in a lot of ways. It's, you know, I, I really wish we could have got some of those original kids that were on a bear road in the movie, but you know, Paul had passed away and, and the other guys don't want anything to do with the story anymore. So, um, that allowed them to still have a voice and a say in the film that what we're working on the Mothman movie right now. And there's, there's very few original witnesses left, to the Mothman case, but um, when I was in Point Pleasant a few weeks ago, Jeff Wamsley, who runs the world's only Mothman museum, gave me audio taped interviews that he had done years ago, and um, oh, with many, sweet. yeah, with many of the original witnesses. So I've been saying in interviews, and I'm not, I, I don't know, I have no way to know this. I'm fairly certain because I've seen most of the inter- the the movies about Mothman. I think in our movie we'll have more original 66 67 mothman witnesses represented than anything than any other kind of like filmed mothman entertainment that i've seen um just going off of what i'm when i'm looking at how many intertape or interviews there are and then we had a guy named jonathan heat who had shot an interview with a lady named marcella bennett back in it looks like the very early 2000s um 
and Marcella's dead now. She and she was only in a couple of the Mothman documentaries, but he actually just straight up gave me that interview, um, and that's a video interview. So so that's in the film. Um, so we have we, we you know in in the case of Mothman and Beast of Whitehall, it's it's been luck more than anything. People have just been willing to give us you know access to this stuff. I'm to the point where I'm totally willing to pay for that kind of thing because I do think it's really important to the story but so far we haven't run into you know people who are like oh give me two thousand dollars for this interview or whatever um so so we've lucked out in that way so far this is a dreaded question I'm sure you get so we won't spend a lot of time dwelling on it of the movies that you've done so far um least favorite most favorite reasons why um uh-huh. you know things along those lines the stereotypical questions that you usually ask so i'll let you take it in whatever direction that you want to go because i'm sure you're sick of getting asked that <laughs> no i i i very rarely get asked this oh, in really? fact okay yeah in fact i think i got asked it like last week and i was actually really happy because it is i like talking about this side of things i talk and and i worry often that I'm putting my foot in my mouth or I'm making us look bad because I tend to talk really frankly about the process and like, you know, the, the arguments that have gone on behind the scenes and all kinds of stuff, because I, I don't really see it as a negative. It's just part of making a movie with your buddies. You, know? you need to make um, a, a documentary about making a documentary. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be, be this is spinal tap of, of, you know, of, of cryptozoology. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. My wife has said that before. Um, but the, my least favorite of the three is <clears throat> I, I hate to talk bad about it, but Minerva Monster to me was not the movie that I, I had pictured in my head. Um, I people love it and and especially around here, people still really love the movie. And um, it does have I watched it this past fall for the first time in like a year, and I was picking up on some things in it that I, I still respond to and enjoy. But I don't see my own voice in that movie at all, and that's because it was edited by someone else, and there were a lot of behind-the-scenes fights going on. You could always the making just pull like a, a George Lucas and like you know edit in some you know video stuff or something in the background. Well, was- <laughs> if if I I have talked extensively about doing that movie again at some point, be, the big problem would be trying to get the original. Uh, some of the Caton family in the movie, but there, it, it's a movie I'd like to revisit at some point because there's a lot in that movie that didn't need to be in there. And there's a lot left out of that movie that should have been in there. So it, it, uh, at the same time, that movie's you, I can't underplay how big that's been for us. Um, and for me personally, because it's, it's why we are able to continue doing this. It was such a local success and people still locally talk about it all the time so uh, in fact like locally they say if i get introduced on a tv show or whatever they usually say the guy that made minerva monster or whatever you know because that's what people know me as around here um really yeah yeah it's it's still like the local it's the minerva monster guy (laughs) when ro told me that before i even saw the the chats that were going on he uh-huh. told me in a text that we that you guys were talking, and then mm-hmm. I finally saw the catch-up. And the first thing I said was, I want to know about the Whitehall monster. Mm-hmm. Not Minerva, not Falk, because I've read and saw so much about it. Mm-hmm. Not that, that those two, the way you did them, didn't intrigue me, because I will watch them again. I started watching <laughs> the Minerva one again earlier today, 
and I'll finish watching the other two again before I go to bed tonight. But White Hall is the one that I really wanted to know the most about because that's the one that's closest to me geographically. Cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think that's why a lot of people around here were so into it. it and locally, it wasn't a very well known case, the Minerva one. So that was kind of like we, we, you know, brought it back into the public eye. But yeah, I mean, as, as a movie, it's my, it's my least favorite just because of the fact that I don't see it as, as my movie. Um, it's, it's got the, th- you know, it's got the opening local history and it's got the, but it's, it was shot with a camera I didn't like. So it looks very camcorder esque. And I try to get more of a film look, um, you know, as soon as beast of Whitehall was all me as far mm-hmm. as like filming. And in fact, it was, it's literally all me. There, there isn't a shot in that movie that wasn't mine. Um, Beast oh, of Whitehall was, was because oh, it's so crappy. No, no. It's, <laughs> it's, like I said, out of all three, yeah, it that's sucks. the one that I enjoyed the most. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. that you, seriously, like that for whatever it's reason. It's the grunge really, band of Bigfoot movies. <laughs> you guys, it, that's it, the Nirvana mode. It, it like it really means a lot to me when people tell me that 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 is their favorite of the three because the the movie was made by myself and and Brandon Dalo and my dad who drove us back to New York to to reshoot those interviews and would stand out in these fields and hold my reflector for you know and do the light I mean it's the most small scale of of the movies we've done. You know, on, on Mothman, we were just down in Point Pleasant a couple of weeks ago. We had six guys out there, and Beast of Whitehall was was pretty much just, you know, two guys making a movie together. And uh, and because of that, I think it's it's always going to be my favorite <clears throat> of the three because it's I don't know it's it's just a very personal film. It's thirty nine minutes long, and which is I know. I keep hearing this. People, people love to tell me what they don't like about my movies very often. So, like, I hear constantly that people didn't think the movie was long enough, and I'm always just like, man, it was supposed to be a Kickstarter reward. That was it. The movie, you know, Minerva was originally supposed to be a YouTube short. Well, Beast of Whitehall was supposed to be a 10 minute Kickstarter reward for people who backed Boggy Creek Monster, and it ended up taking on a life of its own being a you know almost a 40 minute movie it's won awards at the hollywood international independent documentary awards it won best feature at the uh the uh film awards out of the adirondacks it's it's taken on a life of its own and it is that thing where i think you know we we have a, a director of photography now who happens to be one of my best friends shooting our movies but i doubt i'll ever have another movie where at least not another small town monsters, you know, monster doc where it's so much, uh, so much of it is, is my own eye, you know, and my own, I guess, impression of, of the story and all that. And, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was me and Brandon just kind of working on it together. Well, let's move on to, you were saying before this, we started that you're actually, you know, uh, you said you were kind of skeptical about all this stuff. So mm-hmm. let's move into that bracket. Since you've gone out and you filmed all these things and you've talked to all these people, you know, where, where does your skepticism lie? Where does your, what is your opinion on cryptozoology and all of these things? I mean, I love, I love it. Um, but it, it is a, it's, it's a very, I'm coming at it from a skeptical place because it's a big, 
um, the idea of it is so big, you know, for there to be, and I'm pretty much solely talking about uh, Bigfoot right now, you know, rather than like Mothman or UFOs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when it comes to to Bigfoot, I think there's definitely merit in exploring the subject and, um, you know, trying to find an answer to what people are seeing. Um, it's just the idea of a, a an 800 pound primate, seven foot tall primate, seven to ten foot tall primate running around in the woods behind our house without being found. I have too many questions about that to just accept it without seeing something for myself. So I know some people find that answer very frustrating and, and they argue with me. And, and, and I totally respect the fact that people – believe they saw what they saw and i'm in this weird way i'm not even questioning what they saw i'm saying my own brain will not let me just say okay there definitely is a bigfoot out there um and and in you know i've had discussions i'm a member of a bigfoot organization i've had arguments with those guys because sometimes there's people who think you're questioning you know their truthfulness, which is not at all what I'm doing. It's just for my own, from a personal place where I'm coming at the subject of, of Bigfoot from, um, my own brain does not allow me to just be like, yep, definitely 100%. Um, but at the same time, I don't think people are hoaxing. I don't think everyone's hoaxing. I don't think everyone's lying. I don't think everyone's misidentifying bears or deer in the woods either. So I have just as many arguments in favor of Bigfoot as I do, you know, my own kind of skeptical arguments uh, opposed to it. And I, and I got into all this um, with no intention of writing books or making movies about Bigfoot. When I got into this, it was because I was fascinated by the subject. Um, there was a guy named Brian Brown. There's a guy named Brian Brown who did a show called The Bigfoot Show that I was I was really into and I loved his own personal take on the subject and and um and his experiences and all that kind of stuff and so that's uh, you know like when when i approach the filmmaking my skepticism doesn't inform anything in the movies uh contrary to some people's belief i i i'm very objective in the making of the films they're not you know they're not some sort of pro bigfoot propaganda but they're also not some sort of uh, you know busting the the bigfoot myth either yeah i i noticed that in the film that in all of these films at no point do you ever lean in support of or against uh any of these stories you just let the stories tell themselves which i thought was pretty cool because i've seen so much stuff like this you see like on the history channel you watch ancient aliens and everything in ancient aliens is well ancient aliens were real and this is why and Mm. so much of this stuff is out there is like that where it's it's leaning either hardcore this isn't real or hardcore this is real Whereas, again, with, like Lobo said, you go more into just telling the stories of what's going on in the towns. Um, yeah, this is... You bring out that, a really human some, element to it. That, and that seems to be something that blows people's mind um, when, you're, when you're dealing with, like, ardent skeptics or ardent believers in Bigfoot that, that, that you are attempting to make a movie about a subject that, that you don't 100% believe in. Um, but I, you know, like, again, I worked in newspapers for eight years and, and you learn to be objective in a story and that's all we're doing is telling stories objectively. Um, I have no, I don't, like you said, we don't even put, we're not involved in 
in the story. I'm not uh, inserting myself into the movies. You know, we're not inserted into the movies and certainly my perspective isn't inserted into the story. Um, it's what we're going to do is give a voice to the people who lived these. Oh no. Finding Bigfoot. Well, <laughs> we lost you for a split second on Skype there, but don't worry about it. I thought I was losing you for good. I was freaking out. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you this question, and I, you don't have to be specific, which is going to be difficult for me to ask, but um, wow, did that make any sense or not? When there's, Have there been points where you've been interviewing people in these, and what they're saying you're having a disconnect from, and you're like, I, I don't really believe what this guy is saying right now. Do you have a hard time pulling yourself away from that, or have there been moments when you're doing this when that's happened? Um, there's, yeah, there's definitely been times where you have, have questions about what you're being told. Um, I'm trying to think of like an example that, w- that I could give that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, I know. It's a difficult <laughs> question to ask. Well, why are you asking, like, let me ask you this. Does it affect the editing process? And when you're putting these movies together, when you're, when you're editing it, do you go, man, I don't know if I should put this in here or not. Cause I'm not sure if I believe this. I'm glad you said that. So, so the perfect example is John Winslow in Beast of Whitehall. Um, John is the guy who claims that he was at A Bear Road the night of the the A Bear incident. Um, and in the movie, we were really struggling with putting him into the movie because we couldn't find anyone to verify his story. And actually, Lyle was the guy who kind of told me how to go about that i contacted lyle and i was like hey i have this guy he claims he was at a bear road the night of of the sighting no one has ever heard of this guy no one's ever spoken to him this is the first time he's told this story um you know what do you think i should do and i was like well if you're gonna you know like i I wouldn't exclude him just because you can't 100 percent verify his story because we can't verify any of these stories you know i mean if we could if we could 100 percent verify someone's Bigfoot sighting, we'd 100% know Bigfoot existed. So um, he, he said what I would do is find a way to to put it, you know, whether through narration or whatever, so people know this is a story that's never been told. We're not sure it's true, but it's a piece of the history that, that needs to be examined. So um, it, in John's interview, I think the narration goes something like, um, you know, we literally say his story is not verifiable. We don't know if his story is true or not, Therefore, but it's a piece of that off the hook. <laughs> right. It's actually how it, how we went about it. And, and, you know, like it is true though. Like we, we, I don't want to leave that story out of the film if it's true. And it, because that's a, that's a little piece of history there that's never been told before. Um, so I think the way we, we put it in the film is like it, you know, make up your own mind as to what, what you think this guy you know, if, if he's telling the truth or not. Now I can tell you, we did have John's father with us when we shot his interview and he verified the story. He said, John came home that night and told him the story that night. And he's been telling him that story for 40 years since. So I thought that alone made it worth having him in the film, you know, for my own, for my own kind of, uh, sake, I felt like I was satisfied that at least he believed what he was telling us. So, you've already mentioned the fact that you're doing a Mothman one. Uh, you've got a Kickstarter out there for that, or is that Kickstarter over with? Kickstarter's got six more days. Okay. Um, so, other than the Mothman thing, 
Are you done doing Bigfoot? Have you had enough of that yet? Are you gonna? Do you have plans to move on to other things besides Bigfoot? <laughs> our our fifth movie is called Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, and it it will be bookended by the Kecksburg UFO crash. But uh, Bigfoot stories are involved in that in that movie, so we're back into some element of Bigfoot. Uh, stories with with chestnut ridge but it's not going to be focused on bigfoot and then whatever number six is um we're talking about a few different things like a skinwalker ranch movie i'd love to make and, and things like that so we might we might be hopefully whatever number six is should probably be completely away from bigfoot again and uh chestnut ridge is such a weird the, the three so the first three movies were subtitled Bigfoot and the three we're working on now are subtitled high strangeness. So these are like three movies about cases that are very bizarre kind of flaps of multiple different, um, kind of phenomena happening, happening at once. So, you know, with Chestnut Ridge, there's all kind of weird stuff going on beyond Bigfoot with Thunderbird sightings and strange lights in the sky and all kinds of stuff. So we're, we're definitely going to have some Bigfoot stuff in in the fifth movie, but it's not going to be focused on it. Well, if you do Skinwalker Ranch, be prepared. There's Bigfoot there too. That's what I hear. Everything there. Absolutely. <laughs> there's there's multiple discussions of uh, bipedal hominids there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a, a listener that listens to us. Um, his name's Joseph Citro, and he's an author, and he's written uh, a couple of books about a variety of crypto and strangeness up in vermont and he wanted me to ask you if you'd ever heard anything about the um the vermont pigman story <laughs> no you've never heard about that yeah he was asking if you guys have ever planned about going up into vermont because vermont i guess has their very their their strange flavor of crypto up there as well well i mean beast of whitehall Bear road is about a mile from vermont the vermont border Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we got lost <laughs> every single time we drove out to Bear. the first few times we were there, we got lost and wound up in Vermont. So, and I know Vermont's got the Bennington triangle. Um, yeah, that's whatever, another one. Just yep. cracked pretty hardcore there. Um, I wasn't crying. It was just a, <laughs> yeah, my voice just cracked. It was an emotionally moving story. <laughs> Bennington trying. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's a lot up in that area and we'd love to get up there again and do something about the, the champ the lake monster i've been talking about wanting to do a champ movie for a long time what about like the that jersey devil or anything like that yeah the jersey devil is another one we've talked about um you know i mean for me there's some parameters that these stories need to follow for me to really do a movie about them and i know that's guys where i was my, going <laughs> yeah like like the guys on my crew kind of not not everyone, but some of the guys want to do specific stories just because they're fascinated by it. So, you know, I know Brandon would love to do a, a Jersey Devil movie. But when I think Jersey Devil, I'm like, well, I, I don't know. First of all, I don't know of a small town that's specifically tied to to the Jersey Devil, although I'm sure there is one. But um, and also, you know, like I, I don't know of, of necessarily a flap or something like that. One specific series of sightings. Um but again, I haven't spent a ton of time looking into the Jersey Devil either. So the the, the parameters I'm interested in kind of following are, are a small town that is, is affected by 
you know, something, some sort of ongoing situation or a large uh, sustained mm-hmm. flap that occurs over a certain period of time. Now, that's kind of what's interesting about the Invasion on Chestnut Ridge movie is is we're going to kind of move outside of that a little bit because, in a way, because it's actually very similar to what we did in Beast of Whitehall. Um, the Beast of Whitehall talks a lot about the Adirondacks as a whole, and, and even some of the people in Beast of Whitehall who um, – I don't even know that we say it, but Pam and Dave Gibson, who are at the end of the movie talking about their Bigfoot sighting, lived almost in it, almost two hours drive from Whitehall. And um, there's a man who owns a, a business called Stones of Bones, who's in the movie, and he lives all the way in Prospect, um, in the Adirondacks. So we talk a lot in Beast of Whitehall about the Adirondacks because it's as much about you know that as it is just Whitehall itself and in the Chestnut Ridge movie is is going to have the Kecksburg uh as its home base as like the home small town was that but the one where they had like the little aliens outside their windows and or am I thinking no, of a different one that's, that's the, in Kentucky uh, that would never mind I'm in the yeah app. that's the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin yeah, that's case. Exactly, yep. yeah that's what it was yeah um but yeah the the the, the Kecksburg one is is they, there was a UFO that crashed back in 65 purportedly and was seen by a lot of the local townspeople and has kind of become, you know, their, their local tourism boost. It's, it's what they, they have a UFO festival each year and that kind of stuff. So we're going to focus a little bit on the Kecksburg uh, crash at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. And then the middle section of the movie will broaden out and kind of take in the whole 100 mile expanse of the chestnut Ridge and all the bizarre stuff that's kind of gone on. A couple of weeks ago, we had Stan Gordon on, and he's that's that's his thing. Like Pennsylvania is his. He's in our movie. Okay. It's all kind of based on his book, Strange Invasion. Yeah. Um, awesome. We didn't talk to yes. him too much about it because it was like we said with you. I mean, there's, question, like, you, there's questions you get asked over and over and Sorry. over again. And I originally wanted to talk to him about the Kecksburg thing, and he was like, all right, if you really want me to. And I'm like, well, no, if you don't want to go that way, you know, that we can go in different directions because Pennsylvania is, that is the weirdest state. I mean, you got like Florida, who's got like stupid human tricks. And then you've got <laughs> Pennsylvania, which is like everything weird is centered around that state and just kind of goes out from there like a bullseye for the mm-hmm. most part. <laughs> I don't know what it is yeah. about that state. It's, well, it's, to me, it's the entire that entire area it's it's not just it's it's like pennsylvania west virginia ohio northeast ohio it's like the the ohio river valley to me is where it's happening like there's all kind of weird crap going on in that area and and i tried to get some people to talk about that in the mothman movie like the is it just something that's you know is it folkloric is it cultural is it what is it about that entire area that this stuff kind of permeates that region specifically it's like pennsylvania west virginia ohio northeast ohio mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah it's definitely strange we did a show There's no way around that about the uh ufo chase with the police with the police cars portage portage yeah portage county ufo chase so yeah that's i mean that's one of my favorite ufo stories because i live like 20 minutes from portage county um and those cars were leaving from like what was it, Streetsboro? I can't remember where they were leaving from over Something in Portage like County. 
Um, but yeah, it's, I, I love that story and it's, you know, it's, it's relatively close to me. I've driven by the police station where they would have been based out of. Mm-hmm. Well, there was, there's been a few stories like that. We had another incident like that happen up here in Michigan where, uh, we had UFOs that were, it was where the swamp gas myth came from, you know, where people were like, no, you didn't see you, the, the police officers didn't see UFOs. Right. They saw swamp gas floating over top of the treetops and stuff like that. And that's where it all started up here in Michigan. But there was another incident where it went down through Indiana and through Ohio. And then there was there's all these different stories of UF of police cars chasing UFOs. Like they'd get to their you know their their border of their state, and then the next state would pick it up and chase it for so long. And then the next state would get up and chase it for so long. And the idea that well yeah this was they were just chasing Venus or something like that. It's like that doesn't that doesn't seem to hold a lot of water with me. So <laughs> I don't know. I, the, I, I would buy spy plane, maybe sure. Something like that. But now nah, they're just chasing the moon or they're just chasing Venus. It's like, no, that don't sound right. So well, they, I mean, they kind of, in the Portage County case, they kind of ruined those guys careers too. I mean, they, you know, they made them look like lunatics. Um, yeah. And the one guy, I mean, the, what the, the after effects of, of everything that happened with the Portage case is one of the things that really draws me to that story. Are you planning on doing anything with it, or are you just going to let no. sleeping dogs lie? Yeah, no, not really. It doesn't. It doesn't have a monster at its heart. Now, there, there's probably a movie there to be made. I don't yeah. know if it'd be a small town monster movie, but there's definitely something you could do there if you can get anyone connected to those original, you know, to that to that sighting to happen or to to talk about it. Well, well there's a small town monster there. It's the people that ruin those people's lives and careers, right? <laughs> It there seems like every state has has their own crypto monsters as well. Uh, up here in Michigan, we had the Michigan Dogman one, which was proven to be a hoax. But there's all kinds of different legends of Bigfoots and, and uh, dogmen up here in Michigan. Um, yeah, it seems like every state has a lot of the melonheads. Yeah, the, well, every state has the melonheads too. I've got a melonhead. There's a story of melonheads not too far from where I live, actually. Um, same here. Yeah, it, the, the melon heads are kind. Of, that's kind of one of those urban legends that just kind of pops up everywhere, and it you know. It's amazing it's, how hydrocephaly moves so fast across the country. <laughs> that's a big word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so uh, okay, you've got Mothman on the horizon. Uh, that sounds mm-hmm. like you're pretty far into that one. There. Um, yeah. Are you having any difficulties researching that one, or because you said a lot of people aren't around anymore for it? I know the woman who ju- who ran the uh, steakhouse; she just passed away not too long ago herself. Um, yeah. So there's there's not a whole lot of people left on that one. So how do you you know you're just going through audio tapes and stuff because there's not really a lot of witnesses left for it. Um. No, we're we we've got um. So yeah, Carolyn dying um was rough. I, I had spoken to her on the phone <clears throat> the weekend before, the week before on Wednesday. Actually, in front of me, I have the note I wrote when I was talking to her because I, I put her down to do an interview the next Friday night at 7 o'clock. This is what is on the note. I was supposed to go meet her and uh, film her interview. And <clears throat> Carolyn informed everything that I had planned for Mothman visually. And the reason is, you know how we were talking about the small town and you guys liked the fact that Whitehall really shows the town. That's something I wanted to do with, with Mothman even more where we actually start the movie. My, my intention was to start the movie with Carolyn 
opening her shop in the morning mm-hmm. and you're you're with her and you kind of see how the small town functions and you're seeing it through her mm-hmm. eyes and you start you start to hear her talking about the town's history and its people and what people are like and all the stuff we normally have in our movies but, but told personally you know from from carolyn and when carolyn died um it threw the entire movie into upheaval for me because i couldn't figure out you know like she was literally the first scene in the movie was going to be her and the last scene in the movie is going to be jeff um wamsley and that was my plan so i had to completely change like my thinking on how we were going to do this that is Um, a small town i was there last year for the mothman festival and it's it's like a block you know but the it's weird because when you walk through when you're walking down that main street you get the impression that town really hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot you know, for no, the most the part, we're looking at it. Same. Yeah. I, did I, you? I I was there last year. Did you didn't come by my booth or anything? Did you? I may have. I met so many people there. I, there's a good chance that I may have met you. I met. You I did go to that booth. I know you did because we spoke about it. Yeah, it's very possible. Okay. That little tiny, like, because you got like a Mothman statue right there, and then they have these tents behind I was, it. I was directly behind i was the first tent behind the statue like the butt was right right behind me the butt yeah the then mothman. i did talk to you because there was that weird little there was that little t-shirt vendor shop that was selling those mothman t-shirts for like five bucks yeah and it sucked because nobody there could get a wi-fi signal or anything or any kind of yeah. a cell phone signal to process credit cards and i didn't bring yeah. any money so i'm just walking around with a credit card in my hand saying does anybody accept this and i was like no 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 one, oh no. i did you come to me. <laughs> uh but yeah, the, the Carolyn's death, that's the first time. Now, we've had people die on every, oh, geez. Oh, that. God, so, here we so go. Terrible. Oh, boy. <laughs> but we, we, Is this like Kenny from had, South Park? <laughs> we've had people pass away during the making of, of all three of our movies. The, the, with Beast of Whitehall, when we decided we were making Beast of Whitehall, the same day that I sent out the email telling the guys, um, Paul Gosselin died. And... Um, with Boggy Creek Monster, we lost Smoky Crabtree, and then with with Mothman, we lost Carolyn. Um, so no, but but as for how many people are in the movie, no, we've got. Um, let's see, we talked to actual witnesses. We interviewed what three or four, I think, ourselves that we've we've talked to that that saw things, huh. and we talked to uh, news. Um, a guy that worked in the newsroom at the Charleston Herald Dispatch. We talked to Jeff Wamsley and uh, the local tourism head of the tourism board um, because, you know, our movies are, uh, again, like they go into as much about the local history, but also Mothman is going to be about 13 months specifically. It's going to focus on the 13 month span of time between the Scarberry Mallet sighting out at the TNT area up until the day the bridge collapsed. And we have some um, – I haven't been – broadcasting this because it's going to shock a lot of people when we put it in the movie but there's we have footage from the day after the bridge collapse that's never been seen that was shot on the on the river by one of the rescue workers um oh wow so we're going to have that in the movie it's never publicly it's never been seen before and it was given to us uh kindly by jeff wamsley so we're Ooh, we're pretty excited. There's the visually. There's going to be stuff in this movie that's never been seen before. We have an un, unseen, you know, like a very, if it has been seen, it's barely been seen by anyone. Uh, interview with um, Marcella Bennett, and then we, we're 
were working on getting a uh, previously unreleased interview with uh, Linda Scarberry. Now, I say that pre- you know we're working on it because there's nothing that the Scarberry interview is not 100% yet. But if we can get it, um, it it is going to open some eyes as far as how the events of that night affected Linda for the rest of her life. And um, some of the weird stuff that continued to happen to her after those, those initial sightings, including poltergeist activity and all kind of weird stuff. Yeah. So, so what is this available exactly? Uh, <laughs> you're fast tracking this, you said? The, the, yeah, it actually is. I mean, the, the release date for this is June 2nd. Um, and we're, you know, I, I actually hope to have a final cut done early April, you know, so we can get it out to iTunes and Google play and all oh, that stuff. Sick. It takes, it takes forever ever once it comes out. You're going to do but, a screening um, down there by chance or anything. So the movie's premiering, the big screen premiere will be at the festival. So even though it comes ah, out on shit. June 2nd, um, it's, it will be available, you know, at, on, at the festival, it will, it will be the big premiere. I'm going to be down there a week after Mothman this year. Cause me and, uh, one of our friends, we're going to be down at a, a motorcycle exposition in, mm-hmm. uh, Columbus. And then. I'm like, hey, let's drive down to the Mothman town. It's about two hours away from Columbus. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, come on. We'll go down there. And, we're, you know, by then the festival will be over with, so it won't be packed. Because last year it was super packed. I'm assuming yeah. it'll be the same this year because this year is the anniversary of the bridge falling into the water, correct? Yeah, yeah. This, is the, this is the 50th anniversary. Yeah, so I'm assuming this year it'll be just as busy. But we're going to go the week after so I can go, yeah, that's the hotel and that's the diner. Because I've actually I've been in that diner. Um you know, so it, it, we won't be. It won't that be diner um, looks the sorry, same you when you walk off. in there. It, I can tell it looks the same as it did fifty years ago. Well, they <laughs> they took they took. You know, when Carolyn died, they actually took the entire counter display out, and it's over in the museum now. Wow! Oh, wow! Yeah. Yeah, you wow. walk by and you can see this phone book stacked up in the window and stuff. I, when I was walking by it, I'm like, man, that, that probably looks the same as it did when Keel was in there writing, writing the Mothman prophecies. Yep. You know, the only thing I wanted to do is walk in there and be like, so what seats did he sit in? But I'm thinking about that going, how many people must walk in here and say that every single time, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, right. uh, you know, so we're, we're going to go down there like a week later. But have you, I'm assuming you've been to the TNT site and the spot where it all took place. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. We did some really cool – the way we – man, I haven't talked about this. And it's it's like – You don't have to. You never know how much <laughs> – well, it's okay. I, I we, we wanted to do something with the Marcella Bennett interview. And there were a couple of reasons I, I wanted to do something visually with it that was a little different. That one of the reasons was the interview was incredibly low resolution. It was like three three sixty or what you know, it's like three twenty. It's it's below four twenty P. So it's a very low res interview. And um I I told Zach I wanted to shoot I wanted to take a projector and project her interview on the inside of one of the TNT bunkers. Oh, and sick. so that's what we did. We got a generator. Oh, we took it down there. We took a projector and a laptop. We went into one of the bunkers and we projected it onto the wall and it worked out really well. And Are it's incredibly fairly creepy easy to, to get to. I mean, do you have to go oh, yeah. through fences and stuff like that? Or is it just down? No. Road? Hmm. Yeah. You just, you can just kind of walk to them. Um, but we went to one that didn't have a ton of graffiti on the inside and we 
yeah, we projected the interview onto the wall and uh, shot it. So that's how her interview will actually play out in the movie. Oh, I just that's gonna be so I wanted sick. to do something visually that was a little different than just like a box on your screen, you know. So yeah, it's pretty creepy. Now I have to wait until when <laughs> June June second is the is the official release date. Damn it! Kickstarter backers though, I mention ah. Kickstarter, Kickstarter backers will will have early access to the movie, and I don't know yet how early that is. It could be it could be weeks before. Um, oh, with Beast oh, of Whitehall, oh. people had people had access to Beast of Whitehall a month before the movie came out. So. Oh, man. But yeah, we're doing whoever backs the Kickstarter backers will have early digital, like an early digital copy of the movie. So after Mothman's over with, where do you go next? Well, that's Invasion. We'll start filming uh, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge in May. So and that's uh, that's, you know, Pennsylvania. Wow. Are you are you shooting for like one a year, one every two years? What's your schedule? this This is two this year. So um Sick. Moth Mothman comes out June second, and Invasion comes out right around Halloween. So oh my we'll, God! We'll so have, now I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to watch Invasion, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have Stranger Things new season to watch. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. It's kind of fitting too, because I think we're gonna try to do that same kind of like synth, uh, weird kind of like Stranger Things vibe with with these with the Invasion movie. So I didn't even think of that. That's cool. Yeah, we we. We released two in 2016 as well. That's Beast of Whitehall came out April 1st or April 2nd, and um, and Boggy was November 11th. So there were two in 2016. And there's two in 2017. The big difference is Beast of Whitehall had been filmed in 2015. It's just mm-hmm. that you know we gave ourselves a long lead time. This year, I'm I thought, well, I'm having a baby in late April, so this is a great year to try to produce two <laughs> movies. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> You'll have zero sleep. Trust me, so, I have three children of my own. <laughs> is this what you do now? Is this your job, or do you still manage to maintain like an actual real life outside of this stuff? Well, this is this is my full time job. So I work on this every day, all day. Um, but I do, you know, I have a standard uh, part time, not standard. I pretty much work whenever I want. I have a, a part time desk, desk job that is wrapping up here in the next couple of months. Huh. Well, I uh, I can't think of too much more to ask you. I think we've covered pretty much all the grounds that I wanted to cover. Lobo, did you have anything more you wanted to throw at him? Um, j- just just for the techies out there, what's what's the standard equipment that you use? Uh, uh, that's awesome. Thank you. I love. See, this is the stuff I love talking about. Um, with with Boggy or with Beast of Whitehall, we shot that with my Sony Nex VG nine hundred, which is like a a Sony camcorder. Uh, handycam body but it it takes uh interchangeable lenses um okay. so we shot we shot cine lenses on that and then we have had a uh, phantom 2 drone with a gopro and and so that was pretty much it for beast of whitehall with boggy we shot with the sony again but we shot we also rented a sony fs5 and a sony a7s2 we used a lot of gimbal uh ronin m1 gimbal on boggy and then um, it and it gave it a very kind of energetic look. I w- I've been watching Boggy, trying to figure out what we did differently with it, and it it's, it's the movie moves really quick. There's a ton of cuts, like there's constantly cuts in that movie. Um, and we did Mothman. We shot with a what's called the digital Bolex D16 camera, which is a weird like it was actually a kickstarted camera, um, 
but it's it's kind of like an old Bolex camera, but you know, digital. And um, we shot. That was our primary camera, and then we used my Sony next. And then on the last day of shooting, we rented a uh, Sony A7S camera and a gimbal. Um, the the visually Mothman's very different from Boggy. It's probably going to be a little bit more like Beast of Whitehall in the fact that it's it'll linger a little bit. It's a little bit more. Um, you know, it's it's got it's a little meditative. Is kind of the tone I'm trying to set with it. Not boring, but it's mm-hmm. it, it the the you know the tone of the movie is just very different from anything else we've done because of that. The tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse is kind of informing the entire tone of the whole movie. So it's it's very if you've watched the teaser trailer that's online, that's actually very indicative of what the tone of the movie will be. So it's more a somber note that you're trying to carry on. Somber. Uh, was the word we kept repeating to each other when we were Zach and I when we were driving down there to film the first time. So yeah, it's very very kind of somber. It's it's a lot of like mounted shots that so we you know put put the camera on a tripod instead of a lot of like moving stuff. That just reminded me of something when we were down there last year when me and the wife were walking around and stuff because my wife really isn't into this kind of stuff. I'm telling her the story of it. We go down there and I'm like, this is the bridge and. Blah, 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 you know, because she's just she lives in a different world than I do for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. And we would go walk around the festival and stuff. And she was into it. She was having a good time and stuff. And and then we took a break and we walked down to the riverfront down there. And I'm leaning over against the railing and I look over at the bridge. And then it's like, man, you know, you see that bridge and you're like a lot of people died on that bridge when Mm -hmm. that thing went down. And you see it and you're visualizing it in your head. You know, just being stuck on that bridge and the traffic's not moving and then all of a sudden it just goes and you're stuck in your car and you're in the water and the water's coming up around you and stuff. And yeah, it, it's it really hits you. It's like, man, we're here talking about this festival and stuff. But at the same time, this happened. People died there, like right there. Yeah, you know? it's 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 um, it was really nailed for me in, in our interview with Denny. Um, Denny Bellamy, who runs the tourism department there, he he said the way you see it in the movies isn't you know especially like the Mothman prophecy. It was a movies, terrible so movie. It, <laughs> see, I love that. Oh, it was a I'm, horrible I'm a movie. Huge fan of that movie. But oh, the, man. Way, the, the way he said it was that 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 bridge, you know, the when the, when the I bar pin broke, that bridge swung to one side, dumped all the cars into the freezing cold water. This was the coldest day on record down there. Um, dumped all the cars on, on the one side and then swung to the other side, dumped all the cars. He said a lot of those people just died instantly because yeah. the bridge, they hit the water and then the bridge collapsed on top of them. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, you have to be really cautious when you're telling a story like this, because you've got a lot of people in that town who, who had relatives and loved ones that died on the bridge and you don't want to make a movie that's like, and then the Mothman showed up and killed everyone on a <laughs> yeah, bridge. Exactly. Yeah, that- exactly. <laughs> And that's I was so. in there thing and I was like, man, it, it just brought it all. And I'm like, I'm looking over and they've got the the Mothman elephant ear guy who's making the Mothman mm-hmm. elephant ears and stuff. And you're seeing all this stuff, and then it's like you look at the bridge and you're just like, and then there's the memorial that they got on the wall there, and it's just like, you know, for all this is and for all that we're doing right now and the t-shirts and you know the little Mothman cakes and all that stuff and the Mothman drinks and the guy walking around the inflatable suit. You know, a whole bunch of people died on that bridge. That's tied. That phenomena is tied to what's going on here in this town. You know, it yeah. all happened at the same time. It's this weird contrast, and it was just like, it was a very chilling moment just sitting there looking at that. It was kind of like, 
you know, like a little piece of your heart breaks. You're like, oh man, you know, it's just, well, that's, yeah, the, the, <laughs> I'm going to walk away movie, now because this is a bummer. I want to go back to the Mothman funnel cakes. You know, <laughs> That's the, the movie's really going to be different from the other stuff we've done because of that. It just, people were like, people on my crew were like, how are you even telling the story about the, the bridge? You know, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not going to tie it into the Mothman story. And I said, well, the, our movie's about the 13 month span of time between those two events and how, how weird everything was. And in talking to a lot of the people that we did, a, a lot of these people said that as, 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 as all these events were taking place, it felt like there was a, a it, it was, everything was escalating to something, you know, and then the bridge collapses and then everything kind of dies off. Um, so, you know, again, I just, the movie's going to be very very different in a lot of ways from the other films in that in, in that we have to be very respectful of, of the the pe- people that you know are still there and, and of the people that lost their lives and i also i know that that movie is it needs to be extremely powerful you know when when people start talking about losing loved ones on the bridge i want that to be emotional i want people to cry when they're watching it well, we're going to wrap it up now because we've had you here for quite some time. This is a part of the show where I give you the opportunity to promote anything you want to promote. Where can people find you? How can they get a hold of your films if people want to see them? You know, throw it all out there and let everybody know where they can find you at. Uh, we're on uh, – you can buy the DVDs at shop.smalltownmonsters.com, T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. Um, we're on Amazon. All three movies are on Amazon. And Beast of Boy Hall is, is currently free through amazon prime and um pretty soon beast of boy hall will be on itunes and google play probably within the next hopefully within the next few weeks um and then boggy creek monster should be following suit um later in the spring boggy will be available on itunes google play voodoo playstation store xbox all that stuff um hopefully hulu and netflix at some point um we plan on Boggy's going to get a, a pretty wide release here in the next few months, um, and uh, the Kickstarter for for Mothman of Point Pleasant still running. You can help fund Mothman and Invasion. Actually, they're both part of the same Kickstarter campaign. So, um, and there's all all kinds of stuff in that, including a, uh, a statue, a Mothman statue, the Gene Saint Jean designed. Um, so, if you're interested in backing. The Kickstarter, you can get a Gene St. Jean designed Mothman statue. Um, and I think I think I've pimped enough. Oh well, we got a lot of events. We're doing Bigfoot Bonanza. Go ahead, man, throw it all out there. <laughs> all right. We're we're doing Bigfoot Bonanza in San Francisco, March eleventh uh, or twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, which is a a Bigfoot conference and film festival that I'm taking part in. And then we've got the PA Bigfoot Camping Adventure in Pennsylvania. And that is in May, uh, the first weekend in May, I believe, maybe second. Um, and uh, then I'm I'm one of the presenters at the Big Sky Bigfoot Conference next September, and of course in September as well is the premiere, the big screen premiere of uh, Mothman at Point Pleasant at the Mothman Festival. So, are and you guys more. on Twitter or anything like that? Do you got a Facebook page, Twitter? We are we are on email. all social media. Yeah, we're on all social media, and the best place actually to follow us is our Facebook page. We're actually launching launching a um, once a month live uh, radio show through a local radio station here called Small Town Monsters Live. People will be able to 
interact with the radio show through our Facebook page. And the first episode is recording this Thursday. So if you want to ask any question about movie making or monsters or whatever, we're recording that um, this Thursday night at seven o'clock and you'll be able to watch the live broadcast on our, on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash SML town monsters. Well, I think that's everything. Uh, Lobo, you said you're all set or you got anything more? Or yep. Is that it? No. Okay. Well, Seth, thank you very much for coming here and uh, doing this. We really have enjoyed watching your films. It's, it's nice to talk to a documentary filmmaker who, um, I really like your approach. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I think you do a really cool job telling these stories. Um, and it's been a lot of fun talking to you. So, you know, keep us on your contact list. If anything comes out down the road and you want to get back in touch with us, we'd love to talk to you again. Definitely. Thanks for having me on guys. Thanks, Seth. Life is a mystery. Confusion is all around us. The truth is out there, but you won't find it here. Maybe it was the ghost of an alien that worked for the government. You know, you remove the alien anal probe out of the story and it probably wasn't this guy's worst Saturday night. Welcome to Hysteria 51, a weekly oddcast of conspiracy theories, mysteries, and the unexplained. All viewed through skeptical eyes and the blurry lens of a beer bottle. Listen to Brent and John make sense of it all each week by subscribing. Find us on iTunes by searching Hysteria 51 or anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. Are you afraid of what goes bump in the night? Have you or your friends ever pondered a conspiracy? Do you want to know more about the unknown? If so, then put on your tinfoil hat, sit down, and pick up your computer, tablet, or phone. Go to iTunes or YouTube and search for Secret Transmission Podcast and listen to us try to explain the unexplainable. Follow us on Twitter for updates on shows. At Secret Trans Pod. That's S-E-C-R-E-T-T-R-A-N-S-P-O-D. Or you can email us suggestions at secrettransmission at hotmail.com. That's S-E-C-R-E-T-T-R-A-N-S-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at hotmail.com. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So that was Seth. Nice guy. Sure. Really nice yeah, guy. dude. It's really cool. That interview actually went a little bit longer than some of our normal ones do. It's always cool when somebody comes on the show and is like, oh, I can talk about this? Cool. <laughs> it was good. I mean, it was really good. Yeah. I, I, if you get a chance, if you're on Amazon or you have a way to see any, if, if you're on Amazon Prime, go watch the uh, go watch the one that's on there if you've already got it. Because if you've got Amazon, then you can watch it for free. Um I'm really yep. curious to see what he's going to do with Mothman because having seen these other movies and as you said, he goes really into the core of what these people are like in these towns. There's he's going to do a great job. I can yeah, tell her it. 
Yeah, I'm just concerned with because, like you said, there's not a whole lot of people that are alive. But he always like I'll I'll tell you one thing I really like is he does he's got the same kind of attitude that we've got where you got to try to dig a little bit deeper mm-hmm. and you got to try to pull something else out of of beyond what's already out there. And he's got that to him, which makes me want to see the rest of his movies because it's like I said about the History Channel. There's so much of this stuff that's already out there that's very it's very plastic. It's very bubblegum. It's put out there, you know, just to just to cater to like that that kind of crowd. And I don't get that vibe from his movies. So. No, they're not like that at all. The way he approaches it is, like I said, everything he does is very organic. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's it's, the best way to put it. Yeah. It feels like you're there. It makes you feel as though you're a part of it. You have something invested in it. I mean, you could sit, and I, I don't want to, you know, throw shade at, you know, any of the documentaries that I do watch, but as far as I've seen and the three that I've watched that he's made so far, uh, they, in my opinion, will still stand the test of time years from now well, just because of the atmosphere. Let's be real. There's a lot of documentaries out there in this stuff that, that are very woo-woo oh. and just kind of blah. What was the one that we were talking about on Facebook, the, the guy who saw UFOs? Um, yeah, the man who sees what the hell is the man who sees flying saucers. I think that's what it yeah. was. Yeah. I watched that one. Uh, that one was on Netflix, and that one was actually pretty cool. I, I like that one a lot. That one was pretty neat. I rather they enjoyed were that. Just one. talking about that, like literally two days after I listened to it. Last podcast on the left just did the show before this last one they dropped was they did the the Puerto Rican chupacabra, uh-huh. and they talked about they touched on that documentary because of the way. It is seen. They did a good job. Of, you know, it was a it was a rough explanation of it, but it got me like, oh, maybe I should watch this. And then, no lie, like one or two days later, you guys were talking about it. Well, synchronicity works that way with us. It's true, <laughs> very true. But yeah, I recommend that one. Though. Uh, Seth did not do that one, but if if you're into checking out documentaries after you get done watching uh, watching the ones that Seth has done, or if you're looking for something good on Netflix, it's uh, called The Man Who Saw Who Sees UFOs. And mm-hmm. the guy that they're talking about, he's kind of nutty. Well, he's actually very nutty, but he does have some very compelling evidence. He's sure, you know, it's it was a fun documentary to watch but um that reminds me because <laughs> of all the stuff we've been talking about about strange things and locations and things like that i was talking to uh, harley earlier this week from the travel oddities podcast um because we've been working behind the scenes trying to set every set each other up with interviews and giving each other advice and stuff and i've been giving him advice and he brought up that um when he listens to our show he said he's got a whole lot of podcasts to listen to and that when he listens to our show he listens to it at one uh, one and a half so he listens to it faster mm. and um and i totally agree with this that um there are many times when we record the show that i'll have to work that day at like six o'clock in the morning so by the time we record at nine o'clock at night i'm beat so i'll ingest uh copious amounts of caffeine and i end up talking like an auctioneer on crack um and he listens to our show at a higher speed so he says i sound like a a uh, coked out chipmunk oh <laughs> apparently okay. i'm quite hysterical when uh when i'm amped up on caffeine which i freely admit i've 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 made reference to that many times in the show and a lot of people can tell though i'll get messages like so you were drinking death wish or something last night right and i'm like yeah <laughs> uh, well you know but, um, 
it's funny too because I think they made reference in a, a show or a couple of shows ago how they weren't really intending to be an interview show, but they were kind of turning into one. And mm-hmm. that seems like it's what's happening with us lately. And we didn't plan that. All of these interviews that we've had lately are, are have just fallen into our lap since the beginning of the year. And I was really expecting things to slow down, and they're really not. We're, we're booked up with <laughs> interviews right now until the first week of April. And then I called you and said, I am not going to book any more interviews until, until we catch up. Yeah, until we get caught up. Because uh, next weekend we're off unless you end up recording something. And then Shh. we've got three shows that are in the works. And then um, I'm taking another. I'm taking the first weekend of April off because I'm going to be out of town. And then a couple of those shows, you're back to being dance dad again. <laughs> well, one, of the, one of the shows in April, I can't be there because I enjoy being married. Yes, it's and your wedding gonna anniversary. And that's going to be our 17th year Wedding anniversary. Well, you're like kind of like being married. Yeah, you're absolutely entitled to a day off of not being on the show. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. And uh, your last show was pretty cool. I really liked that one. The only thing I found funny about it, the only, I'll tell you one thing that I regret doing. I was going to talk to you about this off the air, but it's no big deal. We'll talk about it now. The only thing okay. about your last show that I, I regret not doing is I wish we had recorded a pre and a post to it where. <laughs> You know, me and you were like, okay, you know, we could have been like, okay, this is what we're going to do with the show, and this is what we're going to talk about, blah blah blah. And then we ran the show, and then I come back afterwards and we talk about it afterwards. I kind of, I kind of wish we had done that a little bit, because I really enjoyed. You always get bent out of shape about, like, worried about doing your own stuff, and you think that, you know, you you don't contribute or whatever it is. And I, I think it's just fine. You know, I, I. I like it when you do stuff on your own or whatever. And what was neat about that one is that was pretty much entirely you, except for me going in and editing and producing it and everything. But you and Chuck did that on your own. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because Chuck is usually here in the comedic um, place. You know, he's on here when we're doing the This Year in Fecal Matter shows, which I'm still getting kickback for not for saying we're not doing anymore. Or yeah, me splashback. too. I don't know. What is up with that? Splat. People like it. It's a release. Uh, yeah, but me and sorts, you are like, I guess. yeah, I guess. Great choice mm. of words. But like the last one, me and you recurred afterwards, we were like buyer's regret. We're like, you know what? I don't think I want to do these anymore. Yeah, I don't think I want to do them anymore either. And then like Josh Cutchin. Cutchin was another guy that gave me some grief about it. He's like, you're not doing them anymore. And then uh, Aaron David, the guy who hosts the Charm the Water podcast, that was the very first thing he said when we started talking. He was like, man, I really enjoyed the This Year in Fecal Matters. I wish you guys oh, would keep God. doing those. And I'm like, wait a minute, you host the show about magic and blah, 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 and you want us to do this kind of stuff? So anyways, well, um, we've got an, uh, our April, the last interview that I've got planned. The next few shows are all interview shows of one form or another or roundtable discussions and so forth. And I kind of want to get back to doing a couple of Ramblecast shows where we just sit and cover stupid stuff or odd news and things like that. Um it's just such a bitch to edit those together, but they're a lot of fun to do because I've got all this content that's overflowing in these folders. I've got, I've got a biblical jackass folder that's immensely overflowing right now of stuff that I want to cover. Um, and I do want to send a shout out. There's this guy that I've been talking to. If people have been following me on Facebook, you already know a little bit about this. There's a guy down in South America. He's in Argentina, and he's got a, a thing on Twitter. He goes under the name The Bureau, and he's a follower of the show. Um, he doesn't speak English, but he understands it, but he mm-hmm. speaks Spanish and he runs a mm-hmm. website down there and he's been sending us all this really cool mm-hmm. content, what I'm dying to use because it's all South American crypto related, you know, ghost stories, UFO related stories that we just don't hear up here in America. And what's funny is cause he doesn't speak English and I don't speak Spanish. So we're constantly doing this Google translate conversation back and forth. So 
I, I, the first message I sent to him, I'm like, you don't speak English, do you? And he would send something back in broken English. And I'm like, all right, so this is what we'll do. And I started typing stuff out in Google Translate, cutting and pasting it in Twitter. And then he would send me a web page and Chrome has the little translate button. You hit the translate button. So it's in yep. English. And he's got yep. some really cool content. And I was like, man, I, I want to, we're going to start using some of his stuff. We're absolutely going to just because his content is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, plans that I have down the road here. Uh, we got some bills coming up. We got to pay for the show, but, um, red pill junkie does characters and things like that. And I'm going to pay him to do some new artwork for us. I mm. think he's going to want to draw pictures of me and you in character oh, form, Christ. but I don't want to do that. I want to say, here's our logo, do an interpretation of our logo. Like here's Archie. Here's the symbol in the background, you know, like we did with the, the one picture, um, the the one that you've got on your shirt um ben the yeah one ben did yeah ben and then uh you know ritzman did his interpretation of it um and i always like to get different interpretations from artists of our logo and do things with them so i'm going to see if i can have red pill junkie i'm like here's our logo take something and do something cool and cartoony with it cool so that's kind of what i'm looking forward there to there um it's got to have monsters make it it's got to have monsters it's got to have monsters sure <laughs> Well, carrying it full circle, the guy from the bureau, I was like, well, people are like, why don't you have him on your show? I'm like, because he speaks Spanish and we speak English and there's going to be a language barrier. And Red Pill's like, I'll translate it. There you go. Boom. I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know if he's a kid or whatever. Doesn't matter. You know, good stuff. Doesn't matter if he's a teenager. He's got good stuff. I don't know if we could do a show where we ask a question and then. Red Poe would translate it and the guy would answer. Then Red Poe would translate it back. And well, actually, because he understands English apparently, he just doesn't speak it. Sure. So, like, you know, Red Poe would have to answer back for him. I'm, I'm kind of interested in doing it. I don't know. We've never done anything like that before. And this year seems to be we're, we're in a transition. We're, we're, we're in some kind of a transition phase right now. So maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's something I'm thinking about. Sure. I don't, I don't want to say I'll do it for sure, but it is definitely something I'm thinking about. But I definitely do want to cover the guy's stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's it. That's all I could think of because we've been rambling for a while now. I just mm. thought it was really funny that Harley from Travel Oddities listens to us at, like, chipmunk speed. <laughs> that's all right. I've been told I sound like Elf, so. Joey Lawrence, is that the other one? You, you haven't heard oh, that one? Oh, yeah, while, have you? that one, too. I haven't heard that one in forever. Yeah, nobody's called you Joey Lawrence in a while. I was looking back Thank at some God. of the old jokes and stuff like that that we've done. Um, I did have a request though. There's a, there's a whole lot of new people that have, that are finding us on Podbean. We've got a whole lot of new listeners right now. And because Podbean doesn't have our old shows, I've had a lot of people that have been sending me messages saying, Hey, when you guys take your breaks or whatever, could you post some best of episodes from way, way back? So I've been considering doing that. And if there's any old school people out there that listened to before we made the jump to the new feed, if there's any particular episodes out there that you think you might want to hear us throw up there. So when we do take a week off here or there, it's easy for me to just repost an old episode. That's fine. That's not a big deal because we've got a bunch of old interviews and some of our really stupid shows and, you know, that we could probably. (laughs) Which shows would those be? Oh, wait, (laughs) all of them. I was I was listening to the old outtakes episode from a long time ago oh where you couldn't God. say little yellow balls and you just kept going oh back and stuttering. God. You had to go back and keep recording. Do you still have the one with me singing Lady Gaga? I probably do. I have oh. This is what I've been doing for people. Anybody, <laughs> and I'll do this and I'll do this for anybody that's listening too by the way. I don't have a problem doing this. If you have a way of either if if you're on Twitter and you you find us on Twitter, Project Archivist, it doesn't have the T on the end, but you can find us on Twitter. Contact me on Twitter, contact me on Facebook, or contact me in the show's Facebook feed. Um, and if you want to send me a USB stick, I will give you 
all of our back stuff and some other really off the wall rare stuff. You know, I've got oh, the ozone late night interviews that the one that you did, the three hour interview, because you don't do interviews oh, very man. often. Um, <laughs> no, it's a, it was a good interview, though. You see, there oh. you go again. There you go again. Do but you I've, still have the interview with me and Jeremy? I don't think I have that one. That's one of the oh. ones that I don't have. Um, what about the one from Paratopia when it was the both of us? Do you have that one? Uh, maybe, but the problem is, is I don't know if Jeff and Jer would be cool with uh, me yeah, giving true. somebody their old stuff. So that's the tricky part. Like, I know Joe over at Ozone isn't going to care. Joe's going to be like, yeah, whatever, because that's just how Joe is. Joe's cool he's with us. He's got, like, zero fucks to give, doesn't he? Joe, no, Joe's just... <laughs> he's awesome. You no, know, he just, he's so laid back. He just doesn't care. There's a lot of people... I got to be careful how I put this out there. There's a lot of people that me and you have been very influenced by that we kind of, I don't want to say looked up to, but that we really strongly respected in the podcast world and that they've turned out not to be so cool of people, you know, and I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail about that, but, um, Ozone Nightmare, Joe and Lando were really big influences on me, not in the paranormal aspect, but for me to do a podcast. And there's that saying, don't meet your heroes because they might not be what you think they are. And, you know, me and you, we're very down-to-earth people. Like, when people listen to the show and they meet me, I just, like, Logan, I remember when I met Logan in person, Logan was like, wow, you're just, like, a really, really normal guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's this is where we are. <laughs> wow, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever seen. <laughs> it, it is. It really is. Because, you know, we always say we're not rock stars. We're not, you know, we're, no. we're really glad people listen to our show and we're really glad that people get stuff out of it. We're really proud of our Facebook page and our tribe and our family and the fact that anybody can join up with us. And, you know, if you go on our Facebook page and say, hey, I've had a bad day, you know, I could, I could use some love. People on our Facebook page, yeah, they'll give you love. And our, our, one of the things that I'm really proud of us is, is that we're not rock stars. We're very down-to-earth people, and we try to be as approachable as possible. As long as nobody's a jerk, you know, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll talk to you. It's not a problem. But uh, Joe and, and Lando, have, they're just very cool people. Joe's just a really down-to-earth, nice guy. You know, he, he likes his privacy and stuff as well. And But he's just really cool, you know. And if, if I need a favor from him, and likewise, if he needs a favor from me, I know he'll he'll do what he can, you know. And it's just, he's really cool per- I mean, a really cool person. And there's a few people out there that we deal with that are like that, you know. Like when I was talking to Harley last week, man, I really appreciate all this stuff. And I'm like, no, it's, it's cool, you know. He just... You need a hand, bug me. Like we got a lot of podcasts that listen to us, and I'm every time somebody follows us on Twitter, I'm always like, "Hey, nice to meet you. You know, what's your show? Do you have a promo? We'll run a promo for your show." And people are like, "You'll run a promo for my show?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know. It, well, we don't know how to record one." I'm like, "Well, here, I'll help you out if you need help." You know, and people are just like, "Um, uh, okay." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I mean, what you the know? hell? Life's too so, short to be in competition with people. Yeah, we're not we're not rock stars. So it's that's exactly what me and Harley were talking about. We're like, you know, we're we're all you're trying to put information on. None of us are getting rich off of this. You nope. know, none of us are making huge amounts of money or whatever. Me and you make enough money through our Patreons to cover our bills. Um, yep. And you know, I try to put stuff out there for the Patreons as much as I possibly can. So, and again, if you're a podcaster and you're listening to this, send me a promo, contact me. You know, if you want us to come on your show or something, sure, we'll do it. You know, it's not a problem. Lobo needs to be on more people's shows anyways. So. <laughs> All right, we're done rambling. We've been going for a while. This is a long-ass episode. That's um, good. So, yeah, no show next week. I don't know if you're doing anything or not. Um, I'll probably throw something up as a best of. Um, there's the one we did on uh, uh, Santa Morte that I might throw up there. I've had a few requests cool. for that one. Um 
So I, I might throw something in the feed just just for the new people that are out there. To, uh, you know, I don't want to throw something incredibly old. Some of those old old episodes, I cringe oh. when I listen to them. Dude, you're not the only like one. Like when we both had bad microphones and oh. we, were, we were like, we don't know what we're doing, so we're going to be Mysterious Universe. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ben from Mysterious Universe came straight up and told me I sounded like dog. Yeah, he's shit. like, you guys sound horrible, but I'm not going to give you too much grief because I know you're doing it because you're a pre, you know, out of respect for me. And we're like, sorry, Ben. <laughs> yeah, right. Ben's one of the people oh. that we've never talked to we've never no. you know i don't think he would come on the show either but no uh, yeah <laughs> no yeah, way not gonna happen i'd yeah. like to talk to aaron really i don't think yeah. aaron likes us very much uh, whatever i think ben gets I what we're like doing very much but i don't think aaron <laughs> i don't think well i've explained why before but i don't think aaron cares so much for us but ben gets it ben ben knows why we did what we did and why we imitated him and stuff ben's cool with it so anyways, that's it. Uh, this is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. It's Lobo from Connecticut. Off Facebook again. Sorry, folks. Yeah, that was quick. That was real quick. Yeah, it didn't last long. <laughs> you stuck your toe in and we're like, yeah, this still sucks. I'm out of here. So Yeah, well, you know what? I don't really like being told what I'm supposed can to I do. Can I give your Twitter feed out so people can bug yeah, you on Twitter if they want? Sure. What's, what's My your messenger's Twitter? on, too. Yeah, you're what? Lobo 13th, Lobo 13th, Lobo 13th, Lobo 13th. I believe it's Lobo 13th. Hold on, let me look, just to I, make sure. Because I, I gave the information out to somebody, and they're like, that's not you. Uh, Yeah, Lobo, at Lobo 13th. Yeah, at Lobo 13th. Because if everybody bugs Project Archivist, I'm the one that runs the Project Archivist account on Twitter. But Lobo yep. also has an account, and you can bug him directly and send him uh, brony porn and things like that. Do not clopper. send me clopper porn. <laughs> I don't want that. That reminds me. Oh, my no, God, we're God. never going to get off the air. You got a letter from the Illuminati. I did, and I was turned down. You got a, I, I got one as well. I got one as I well. I didn't. Okay. The next one that gets sent out, hey, hey, I sh- will sh- write on. it. Sh- All right. Never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, what? I thought I heard something. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I blood. did. I did. Okay. On the, uh, on the last episode, I was on, I was on um, Where Did the Road Go last week? And one of our deep, huge philosophical conversations that kind of goes on everywhere. And and I'm the asshole. I was, quote, called grounding, Um, (laughs) which is fine. No, they were like, well, one of the listeners, um, Aaron, Aaron David from Charm the Water was listening to it. He's like, I really like the way that Lobo, I mean, uh, that Rojan keeps the show grounded because I'm the jackass. Whenever somebody starts getting Mm -hmm. into really crazy philosophical deep topics that I can't, there's a point where I kind of, I go, okay, we can't go any further with this. And then for whatever reason, I kind of be the polite but whimsical jackass that kind of brings everything right back into thing again but anyways he was recording a patreon section for the show i think it was in the patreon where i actually read the uh the letter from the the bavarian was it was yours on bavarian illuminati letterhead mm-hmm. yeah um from uh bershen bershen marchell yep and it was from some place out in in washington or wyoming or something I don't know. it gives it's the address is right on it so trent trent trade drive or something like that which i think is just 33 it's like 3 3 and 3 in french or something like that mm. i don't want to read this yet no um, don't cuz i have I, I still have some kind of a number that I, that i think uh, i know the person that sent this to us and I think we're going to contact them and going to try to ambush them and find out what's up with this. Um, but I will say this, P.S., you did not sign the last three applications in blood. This is Heinz V8 juice. We had it checked. 
Yeah, dude, no. The next one that gets sent out is going to be straight up in blood. Nothing is true. Everything is permissible. Hassan Aysabah. Safeguard this letter. It may be an important historical document. Yep. And there's a whole bunch of rambling on here. Um... <laughs> yeah, dude, There's you got the same letter I got. So hopefully maybe this week I can try to get a hold of these people and we can see if we can... Uh... We can see if we can work work something out, do a trade. I just can't believe it. <laughs> we're gonna let this go for now. We gotta let it go. We got orphan meat. We'll, Wait, what? We gotta let it go for now. All right, this is Rojan. Peace out, folks. Bye bye now. You're in-